Good day, everyone. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, that together, but how about we pray before we uh, explore God's word together. Let's pray. Loving Father, I ask that you'll uh, be with us now. Help us to look into your word uh, intently, to search our hearts and to respond to you uh, in repentance and in faith. Uh, we thank you that you offer us hope in the gospel and we pray that you'll point us to, to the grace that you have there. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about words and uh, as I was preparing this talk, one of the things that I did was to uh, look up references to words and speech and various types of speech and I kept finding myself in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I don't know if you've taken the time to read through the book of Proverbs, but some of the chapters it seems that almost every second verse have to do with how we speak uh, because the impact of speech can be absolutely extraordinary. It can be significant for good and it can be catastrophic for evil. And we see that as we look around in our world. Um, words can do a great deal of harm. Uh, words can bring people down. Words can destroy. But words can offer life. They can offer help and hope to people for the future. And I encourage you just to have a look at the book of Proverbs um, as kind of an adjunct to working your way through the book of James and just explore some of the wisdom that's there about how we use our words. But James has already introduced us to this important theme and uh, we see it propping up in chapter 1 and I'll take you back to verses that we kind of almost skipped over. In chapter 1 and verse 26 it says, those who consider themselves religious or genuinely Christian we might translate and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And then he continues, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the outworking of genuine Christian faith translating into action. It's hopeless if we say that we have faith in God, but it doesn't change the way that we live. If we say we care about people, if we say we love people, if we offer people blessing, but do absolutely nothing to help them, then it calls into question whether we've been changed from the inside out. Because God's in the business of changing people by his word from the inside out. And uh, we see this uh, today. We're going to be looking at how chapter 3 fleshes out what's said about how we use our tongues. And in particular, um, this is a passage that every time I read it, I'm confronted by, uh, particularly because of verse 1. I'll remind you what that says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Um, I'm confronted as I look at this verse uh, because as I teach, people are influenced and if I'm not living out what I'm telling people the Bible's saying, then I'm doing exactly what James 2 has warned about. And that is people who say one thing and do another. But of course, it, it runs deeply 
Because the word of God is actually the very means by which people can be saved. You get that message wrong and there's no hope for salvation. And Jesus warns about those who would lay heavy burdens on people and says it would be better to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than cause one of his little ones to stumble. And I'm there thinking, wow, who would want to be a teacher? And I don't think it's just people in my situation. When you think about our church, for example, how many of you are involved in teaching children? Parents, you are. Salty kids leaders, you are. Salty youth, you are. Those who are out with the children at the moment and those who replace them in different weeks, you will be. Some of you are leading in salt groups. Some of you are getting together with people at other times to look at the word of God. Some of you are encouraging people in scripture. Some of you are doing that at school. Many of us need to think about what's said here about teachers. And we need to take this seriously. And I think it's got all kinds of very practical application. I mean, we expect people to take things seriously when there's major consequences, don't we? Um, I've got a friend who was an electrician uh, who was no longer able to work as an electrician, having climbed up a metal ladder and touching some cords that then electrocuted him, caused him to fall off the ladder, land on his head, and he suffered a brain injury. You see, being an electrician is a serious matter. And so you need to take care to avoid risk and to make sure that you take appropriate precautions so that you keep people safe. I know another guy who was driving a cherry picker when there was somebody up there to work on trees and he took that under a line and that guy was electrocuted. See, we can all think of circumstances in life where people need to take things seriously. You go to a doctor, you, you want them to know the difference between a, a liver and a kidney, don't you? Um, and you want to know that people have put in some study, they've done some preparation, they actually know what they're talking about. You go to a tax accountant, you want to kind of dodge paying tax, don't you? Well, you don't want them to go, well, look, I don't know, just put down whatever you feel like. You want them to be proficient. Well, friends, when it comes to the word of God, we're dealing with something that's far more significant than a tax accountant, far more significant even than a doctor or an electrician. We're dealing with somebody and that can apply to every single one of us here who handles the word of life. And so we need to handle it well. Well, there's a lot that he's going to say about the use of the tongue. And so let's uh, explore this together. I don't think it's simply teachers and would-be teachers because he continues in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It seems that there's a parallel between how we speak and how we act. And the person who's able to live perfectly will be the person who's able to tell the truth perfectly. And of course, there's only ever been one who was like that. And his name is Jesus. So for the rest of us, we fail according to the criteria that are before us here. Let's look at the impact of it. Watch your tongue. Verses 3 and following. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder 
wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, they're, they're pretty potent illustrations that he uses. And I, I think um, he, he does this so that we've got three times to get on board with the message. All right? it's, it's pretty important. Um, three small things that direct bigger things is the implication of, of what's on view here. Uh, verse 3, he talks about horses. You put a bit in their mouth or a, a bridle and you can turn the animal. Uh, the, the second one, ships, they're big and they're driven by winds and so on, but they're steered by a very small rudder. Uh, in late January, Fiona and I were going up to Hathead for a week and we'd put two kayaks on the roof of the car. And um, as we left Bonnie Hills, we, we kept remembering things that we'd forgotten. Oh, sunscreen. Oh, oh well, we'll probably be able to get some up there. Uh, fishing rods. Oh, <clears throat> I really meant to pack the fishing rods and the fishing gear. And, and I think we went through about five or six things and we got as far as, uh, well, we pretty much got halfway there. Can't remember the name of the little town between here and Kempsey, Cundabung or something, isn't it, on the highway? Well, we'd got just about there and I went, oh no, we've forgotten the rudders for the kayaks. And so we had to turn around at that point. Uh, because what good is taking two high-tech kayaks and leaving the rudders at home? And so we turned around and we delayed our trip by an hour and a half, just so we'd have the rudder, so that we wouldn't be kayaking aimlessly. Now, I really did it so I'd have an illustration when it came to passage in James. Um, actually, I've, I've had made a few faults on that road, um, as the Smoots can tell you later. But the point here is that a small thing can lead to a big thing. Um, a small word, can have ongoing significant consequences. I remember when I was in sixth class at school being told that I was tone deaf. I've not been able to sing, sing since. Uh, maybe singing teachers, if there are any of you here, would say you should never tell somebody that, not in their formative stages, but I've suffered ever since. Um, you, uh, you all know the impact of fires, um, what is it, 2019, I think, we had the fires here. Uh, we were also in Canberra in 2003 when they lost 500 homes down there. Um, and, and some of these things can just happen by a spark. An electrical wire, lightning hitting, somebody carelessly flicking a cigarette butt out the window into dry grass. And next thing you know, there's hundreds of thousands of kilometres are burnt. There's lives lost, there's homes lost. And such a small thing. Well, think about it. Think of gossip. Think of rumours. Think about a harsh word. There's another sort of damage here that's done. The tongue has great power because it impacts so many other things. And it can be used in this passage here for devastating evil. And I take it too, when you, you look at verse 6, the tongue is also a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire 
by hell, it's not just the damage that it does out there, it's the damage that it does in here. As we're loose with our tongues, we damage ourselves and those around about us. Well, he continues, um, verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Um, It's true, isn't it? You you can tame all kinds of animals. Uh, I know it's not PC these days to talk about taming animals. Um, circuses and zoos and everything else, they're, they're inappropriate, but the reality stands. You can tame a killer whale. You can tame a lion or a tiger. You can tame elephants and, and you can tame domestic animals. You can tame dogs and, and cats. Well, you can't tame cats and all sorts of things. Um, but you can't tame the tongue, he says. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Well, we're not. Because we cannot tame our tongues. And then the last area. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And here you've got the idea of the forked tongue. Um, when I was growing up, I loved American Westerns. I loved watching F Troop. Um, anyone remember F Troop? Um, great fun. And I remember one of, one of the lines there was um, the, the, uh, the Indian chief, white man speak with forked tongue. Um, now, that's not PC as well, I know that, but it's true. White man does speak with forked tongue. And so does black man and coloured man and every, and woman. We speak with forked tongue. Basically, we can say this and we can say something else. We can live this and not say it. We can say this and not live it. Um, and the particular image here is very confronting. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. You saw the video that was up before. A little close to home. I found it so. I imagine that some of you did. Um, Interesting the way it was put together with the black and white and not hearing any of the things that were being said at the start. And then you move gradually in the end into colour, and then you're hearing the singing of God's praise. But the implications are clear from the body language. That was anything but kind words going on in the start. And I I resonate with this, the the paradox of Sundays in my experience. Um, So many times, particularly when we had young children at home and and you're running around, you're trying to get things done and there's stress and there's conflict and there's yelling and there's arguing and, and there's uptightness and there's words that are said that shouldn't be said and then you've got to come to church. Sadly, I remember one time when it wasn't the kids, it was just Fiona and I, and, and I'd been behaving pretty badly and, and just pulled up the car to the side of the road, and Fiona said, I'm getting out. And we patched things up, and we went on to church, but I couldn't get up and speak without apologising to the church because I came not as somebody who was putting these things into practice, but somebody who was failing. 
And I continue to fail this. How about you? What are your words like? How do you use your words with people? Do you get angry easily? How do you speak with your wife? How do you speak with your husband? With your children? With your boss or with colleagues? How do you speak when you're put out, frustrated, annoyed by somebody? You see, the issue here is with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse his image. See, we need to be consistent in the way that we speak of and to God to the way that we speak of and to people. Because people are the image of God. And yet we fail to see that. We get so caught up in ourselves. But friends, surely there's some hope in this, isn't there? Well, I just want to dig in a little bit deeper before we explore where the hope is to be found because I think there are just so many ways that this can translate in practice. And I've given you some examples there in your handouts. The temptations of the tongue are many and manifold. Lies and exaggeration. I wonder if those of you who are parents can remember that heartbreaking moment when your child told you a bald-faced lie for the first time. It's, it, it's devastating. Did you train them to lie? Well, if you did, you'd be a very successful parent. But I suspect that you didn't. Well, you may have modelled that. But it's a heart problem, isn't it? It's a problem that we all have. We all do it. We lie for so many different reasons, to get ourselves out of trouble, to make ourselves look better. It can be a serious problem and it can become a habit. In fact, there's a time in my life when I think I'd lied about something so consistently, I probably couldn't tell myself whether it was true or it wasn't. The nature of our tongues is that we can use them to preserve ourselves, or at least we think we are to elevate ourselves at the sake of others. When we lie and we exaggerate, we're effectively saying, I'm more important than you are because you don't deserve to know the truth. And that's sin. The lie is not just a, a, a falsehood to another person. It's actually rebellion against God. And there's grumbling and complaining and, and of course, that is so insidious and it doesn't seem a terribly big thing to do and it can become a national pastime. And everything becomes a, a topic for complaining and grumbling. Everything's a problem, nothing's right, nothing's the way that I want it. My convenience, my tastes, my needs, my expectations, they're, they're being inconvenienced by other people and so we grumble and we complain. And yet the very character of what it is to be in Christ is to be thankful for what we have. Or anger and fighting. You know the saying that was around when I was a kid, I don't know where it fits so much these days, sticks and stones will break your bones but names will never hurt you. I think it's wrong. I think it's often that sticks and stones will leave a bruise for a little while but names will really hurt you. 
there have been so many studies uh, on the impact of bullying. And it is something that our society is starting to come to grips with now. And we, we think about the people who have suffered under others and we think also about those who have perpetrated the, the bullying on other people and so often it's done with the mouth, with the words. And to my shame, as I look back to the way I behaved as a kid, I can think of people that I bullied with my mouth. I can think of times when I was bullied by others and it just kept on happening. But it didn't stop when I stopped being a kid. I, to my ongoing shame I can think of people that I bullied at university people that I've spoken harshly to to cut them down it's destructive and it destroys relationships and then there's boasting and, and, and criticism the boasting again which is really the same thing it's putting yourself first I'm better than you and the flip side of that is criticism because I'm better than you I criticize you you're not as good as me and we do use our words to do that and gossip and flattery the things you say behind somebody's back the things that you you say to their face that you would never say behind their back and the things that you say behind someone's back that you'd never say to their face the damage that we do and remember in all of this it's not just damage out it's damage in we damage ourselves and we're just scratching the surface here, I think. I just want you to see how widespread and how damaging the tongue really is. Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you add your own. Maybe it's, it's filthy language or coarse joking. Maybe it's using your words to manipulate other people. Maybe there's a gaslighting that's taking place. Maybe it's deception or, or blunt inconsideration. We look at the destruction of relationships, marriages, families, workplaces, neighbourhoods, churches, so often the result of people using their tongue selfishly. Well, if I was to stop now, it would be a pretty depressing afternoon. So I'll see you next week. I used my tongue there for a bit of light relief. <laughs> um, the, the reality is, as um, Greg has already floated, um, and as I've mentioned in the introduction, um, we need to read on. We, we, we need to see this as part of the whole of Scripture. We've just looked at 12 verses that give us a look into the mirror. Remember the mirror from James chapter 1? And I can see myself in this mirror, and maybe you can too. So what do we do when we look into the mirror and we see this going on? Well, before we look at James, I want to take you to another part of the New Testament. Um, to Turn to Matthew uh, chapter 15. Um, if you've got a Bible there, you might like to turn. Otherwise, you've got the reference printed there and you can look it up later. Um, Matthew chapter 15. I'll just read a couple of verses from there. I think it's important that we see this because accurate diagnosis is absolutely essential um, to knowing how to move forward. Uh, so let's pick it up at um, Matthew 15, verse 18 and 19. 
Jesus, uh, he's been talking about food that goes in and out and so on. Well, not so much out, but food that goes in. Um, verse 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You see, the, the problem there, Jesus says, is not just what's on the outside, it's where it comes from. And so the, the problem with our lips is deeper than our lips. The problem with our tongue is deeper than our tongue. Um, to, to push the analogy here, um, it's to get right down into the heart. That's where you find the solution. Um, this is not exactly how it works, but there's a few kind of metaphors here in this passage. So I'll give you a metaphor. Um, you, you have particularly sore lips. They're cracked. Maybe there's ulcers on your lips. They're just not the way that they should be. Uh, your, your tongue is not in great shape either. Maybe there's some little um, slits on your tongue, some ulcers. You go to the doctor. The doctor says, uh, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that the problem is not your tongue or your lips. The bad news is that your heart is in serious trouble. Now, at, at the first glance, you, you think, oh, I thought I just had a problem with my mouth. Um, I could cope with a problem with my mouth, but now I'm told that I'm at risk of, of heart disease, of, of, of something being seriously wrong. I can give you a... I can give you my own illustration of this. I was breathless. I'd been coughing. I had a little bit of pain in my chest. I went to the doctor and I was hoping he'd tell me that I was having too much coffee and send me home. But instead he told me that I had stage four cancer. But you need a diagnosis to be accurate to know what to do. See, if the problem can't be solved by changing the tongue, changing the lips, if it's not a matter of putting on some chapstick and, and maybe some anti-ulcer stuff onto the tongue and lips, if, if it really is a heart issue, if there's something deeper going on inside, then you need to deal with the real problem. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Now, I know I'm taking this out of context, but I think it's fundamental to understanding how to respond to our words problem in James that is, it's not just what comes out, it's where it comes from. There's a heart problem. And, and the heart, not in the sense of the organ that pumps blood around the body, but in biblical terms, the heart being the centre of the will. And the problem is that what comes outside of us shows what's going on inside of us. Now, if we, if we get that right, then we have hope of a solution. I'll take you to another passage as well, back in the Old Testament. Uh, this is uh, the prophet Isaiah, when he's given the responsibility to be a, a prophet of God. Uh, and of course, he's, he's going to have to do some speaking. And in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, 
which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, this is, is taking place in a, a vision that Isaiah has. And the picture is one of Isaiah being desperately concerned about his wickedness, expressed in his words and other people in their words. And God knows this problem and he does something about it. He does that by providing atonement for his sin, by taking the guilt away, the image of a live coal being used that. And you see, if we've got a problem with our words and we do have a problem with our words, how is that dealt with? Well, at the very centre, it is dealt with by God providing atonement for our sin. And so we, we, we do need to flee to the cross. We do need to see that it's in Jesus dying in our place and paying the, the judgment for our wickedness from our hearts displayed in our words. It's only in Jesus that this can be dealt with. There needs to be cleansing for our hearts, first of all. So if you're listening to what I'm saying and you're not sure where you stand with God, you know that you don't always speak the way that you should be speaking. Well, the first thing is to know that your heart is being dealt with and, and you need to see what Jesus has done for you. you. You've got to understand that there is forgiveness made possible because Jesus has taken all of those filthy words and all the things you wished you hadn't said and the things you wished you had and he's, he's dealt with that and he's paid the price for that so there can be guilt-free innocence before God and that's where it starts you need to keep remembering that God has dealt with the problem the symptoms will continue sadly but the problem at its heart is dealt with only and always by the death of Jesus in your place you can't undo it by yes I said three horrible things I'll say three nice things to the person tomorrow no, you need your heart to be dealt with. And, and we see that here, I think, in, um, in this passage. So if you come with me to James chapter 4 uh, and verse 7, we'll, we'll look at this again next week, by the way, uh, or the week after. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, it's, it, it's talking there about how we deal with this, this problem within. And it's got to do with washing our hands and our hearts. It's got to do with knowing that it is God who deals with our uncleanness. But there's more to it as well. So back in James chapter 3, we haven't read from this last paragraph. Who then is wise, verse 13, and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice." But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. 
Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, look at these lists. Verse 14. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, boasting and denying the truth. Such wisdom, inverted commas, doesn't come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Contrast that with real wisdom, verse 17, which is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. See, James invites us to pray for wisdom. We've already seen that back in chapter 1. Um, he, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, chapter 1, verse 5, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Here, we see that the wisdom that comes from heaven is about putting others before ourselves or using our words to build up and to express love for those around about us rather than being selfish and preoccupied with ourselves. And so we pray that God will give us the wisdom from above to see things God's way, to trust him, to, to be humble, to see people as those who are made in God's image, to actually pause. Remember again in James 1 that we might be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Well, now we see a little bit of how important that is. Because the quick to speak can so often do damage that can't be undone. So let us slow down and, and pray. Let's ask God for wisdom that, that we might treat other people the way he'd have us treat them. That, that our, our attitude should be one of peace, loving and consideration. So we speak peacefully and considerately, that our attitude might be submissive to others, putting them before ourselves and merciful, so that we speak kindly and graciously and good fruit and impartial and sincere. You see, if the heart is right, then the words will follow. Sometimes they won't, and, and we need to confess that and repent of that and ask God to change that. But so often, the words just show where the heart is at. And if the heart is selfishly preoccupied with self, then that's going to do damage when we speak to those around about us. So let's be slow to speak. And when there's stress and when, when things aren't going your way, when there's other things that are making life difficult, that's not the time to let it fly and have others as casualties of what's going on in the heart. Speak slowly. As we saw back in chapter 1, this is key wisdom from God. I've heard some people say that they just think out loud. Um, and I guess people can think out loud. But we shouldn't use that as an excuse to hurt those around about us. Sometimes we need to think quietly 
and be slow to speak so that when we speak, it's loving, it's edifying, it's Christ-honouring. It actually rejoices in the wondrous opportunity that we have to be kind and to build people up and to point people to God and to view others as more important than ourselves. But friends, we need help if we're going to live this way. So what I'd like to do now is just get us to spend a little bit of time um, in silence, uh, just reflecting on our own words, um, maybe the situations where you find yourself saying the things that you wish that you didn't, maybe the people that seem to bring the worst out of you, maybe to reflect on what it is that is stressing you or bothering you that, that's leading you to speak in unkind ways. Maybe there are people that you've not been treating well. Maybe there's some apologies in order. By the way, I, th I think the Bible is not so much into apologies as it is into seeking forgiveness. So an apology can be flippant and quick. Yeah, sorry about that. But will you please forgive me? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have behaved that way. I didn't consider you. Seeking forgiveness is of a biblical nature. So why don't we just spend um, a little bit of time just in quiet. Maybe there are things that you want to bring before God. Um, maybe things that you want to confess. And I'd encourage us also to be asking for God's help. Um, so why don't we just do that now and then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple of minutes.